This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Late 2018, Kareem Hunt was cut by the Kansas City Chiefs after a police report and accompanying video showed him striking and kicking a woman in a Cleveland hotel because, according to the report, she refused to have sex with people in his entourage. Sorry to start your Thursday morning on a grisly note like that. I'm Dan Kovacevic of DK Pittsburgh Sports and the DK Sports Radio Podcasting Network. But sometimes you have to say these things out loud and for what they are to truly appreciate how repulsive a human being can be. Like we can say, oh, Kareem Hunt, yeah, he got cut by the Chiefs, and yeah, he's a bad dude, bad guy. But if you don't say out loud what it was, you're not having the same impact. Kareem Hunt is scum of the lowest order. I'm not even name-calling. We're sharing an opinion here. This is fact. It's documented fact, documented in the written police report, documented on actual verified video. It's there to be seen. If you want to find it, you can. This individual decided yesterday in his Zoom call with Cleveland reporters, now since the Browns have lowered themselves to employing him because he's no doubt turned a corner. And he was asked about his thoughts of getting ready to play the Steelers this weekend. And within that, he blurted this out. Here's, here's the whole answer. Just listen to this. You know, uh, nobody likes having their, you know, season cut short. I know I didn't, and I'm almost positive I know Miles wasn't either. So uh, that's the thing about that. Miles is a great person, you know, and a great player and a great teammate. And uh, you just learn a lot from going through situations like that. And uh, this, you got to come ready, you know, and just forget about all that stuff and do whatever you can. This one is for Miles. This one's for, you know, Cleveland Browns fans, this one for a lot of things. This is the way someone thinks when they're just genuinely bad, when they're just terrible people. They think that being terrible is okay, and that if someone catches them or punishes them, then that someone is the problem. This is this is what this is all about. This guy gets a question that's just, you know, hey, Kareem, what do you think of the Steelers this weekend? And he comes back with how this is some kind of revenge game. Revenge for what? For the Steelers owning the Browns for 
20 years? No. Revenge on behalf of Miles Garrett. The poor, beleaguered Miles Garrett, who swung his helmet at Mason Rudolph's head and struck it. And who, five days later, decided out of nowhere to go public with an accusation that Rudolph had referred to him with racist terminology, something that's been denied up, down, and sideways by everyone involved within earshot, including the officials, the Browns, everyone. There's not one person on any side of anything that corroborated his story, including the microphones that the NFL has all over the place when they're broadcasting a game. Not one tiny, tiny, tiny shred of evidence emerged to support that. And I'm going to say this again. He waited five full days before concocting that garbage. Those are the two things that Miles Garrett did. He gets suspended for his action, and a waste of human life like Kareem Hunt thinks that he was wronged. Wait, 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 no. Thinks that he was wronged by the Steelers. I'm not going where you think I'm going with this. I, I'm, I'm getting this out of the way because I want to make a bigger and somewhat different point. My stating that Hunt is what he is isn't exactly breaking any ground, and for the third time, it's not even an opinion. But I really don't think this is going to be something that's Browns wide, if you will. I really don't. I think it's going to be taken as such because one guy said it, and he plays for the Browns, and the Browns are whatever. I, I don't want to call them a rival. It's been a long, long time since they're that. They're third in line behind Ravens and Bengals within the AFC North. But I'm predicting here and now that this won't be something that you hear from other members of the Browns unless Garrett, and I certainly couldn't rule this out, is stupid enough to chime in, or if the Browns PR staff is stupid enough to make him available this week, considering they don't have open locker rooms and they can pick and choose who has to do the Zoom calls. I don't think you're going to hear it from other Browns. And you know why? Because they were there too. A lot of them were there. And among them, Baker Mayfield, immediately after the game, criticized Miles Garrett for his actions. Other players criticized Miles Garrett for his actions. Said that behavior like that, and again, we're just referring to the helmet swinging because the other stuff didn't emerge until five days later. They didn't rip him. They didn't disown him. They didn't say we want him off the team. He's too good a football player for that. But they made it very clear that they didn't approve, that they didn't see what he did as being part of football. 
They're not about to backtrack on that. Baker Mayfield's not about to backtrack on that. They're not about to say something like, you know, let's go win it for miles. Let's go win it to stick it to the other team's backup quarterback or whatever. The Browns, according to their head coach, they're, it's redundant to say the Browns' new head coach since they have a new head coach every year. But just for fun, the Browns' new head coach, Kevin Stefanski, said in his Zoom call yesterday with us Pittsburgh reporters that his team is completely focused on the task at hand. That was his exact terminology. And they should be. The Steelers are 4-0. They're 4-1. The Browns are 4-1. If they're messing around psychologically or otherwise with anything other than winning, they deserve to get completely trampled this Sunday at Heinz Field. So I wouldn't take this thing as awful as it was from Kareem Hunt as clueless as it was, and assign it to everyone in the Cleveland organization. The Browns made a decision to bring this dirtbag onto their team. They've had continued problems with him, I might add, since he signed. They made that decision. That's the part that they have to live with, and that's the part that you attribute to them. But they all, Hunt included, have way more important things to be focused on this week. And I honestly don't think there will be another thing about it. That doesn't mean that someone won't dig up something. Somebody won't find a way to reach out to Miles Garrett one-on-one. I I just don't. If Stefanski is the head coach that everyone up there is singing about and that he's finally got this team thinking about doing things that losers don't do then I'll be surprised if anything more comes of it but I, there's no way I was going to get through this without bringing up what Hunt said and how lousy it was and how lousy he is and I promise I promise the next segment will be a much more happy place It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Owners aren't supposed to talk about things that involve labor negotiations or league-wide decisions. That's true across sports, and it's true as well in the NHL. But apparently, Bill Foley, the owner of the Vegas Golden Knights, did not get that memo. This portion of Daily Shot is brought to you by our friends at Luxembourg, Garbett, Kelly, and George. They're a personal injury law firm. They represent people who are hurt in car accidents. 
who need help with workers' comp and medical malpractice claims. The attorneys at LGKG pride themselves in doing what they say they're going to do. It's important to them that when they make you a promise, they keep that promise. They've been doing that for over 80 years. LGKG has offices in Cranberry, Newcastle, Beaver Falls, Butler, Elwood City, and you can learn more about them at lgkg.com. That can't be easier to remember. lgkg.com. Or give them a call at 888-842-5454. So Bill Foley's on the air yesterday with a Las Vegas radio station. And one of the things that happens, a lot of big news tends to leak out in scenarios like this because the owners of more established teams in more established markets, they kind of know the rules. Do you know what I'm saying? But if you're a newish owner and the Golden Knights have only been around for three years, and you're in a completely new market in Las Vegas, you're looking for every little scrap you can get, and you say yes to every interview request, and when you're doing the interviews, you're thinking to yourself, boy, I better give them something good, or they'll never have me back on. It's just a different mindset. So here's Bill Foley on this radio station, and they're asking him about losing Nate Schmidt, the really good, for a lot of years, Vegas defenseman who was just signed by the Vancouver Canucks about what it'll be like to have to face him in the division. And Foley jumps in and says, well, no, he'll be in the Canadian division. <laughs> You're like, what? <laughs> what Canadian division? So <laughs> Foley continues to blurt out, that, well, the NHL is considering having all the Canadian teams in a division. The NHL is also looking at not starting until February 1, as opposed to the January 1 that Gary Bettman had said right before the first round of the NHL draft last week. And also, oh, by the way, that they're looking at a schedule that might only be 48 to 56 games long so that they can be done before the Summer Olympics next year in Tokyo because of NBC and all that other stuff. That has It's not that one has something to do with the other. It's just that NBC wants to have a clear slate. So, well then. <laughs> so, so Bill Daly, the NHL's vice president, and the person who's chiefly responsible for putting out fires by sending people emails, that's what he does. I've gotten them too sends something to the Las Vegas Review-Journal that says, wait, wait, we're just in the stage of considering things. We don't have any answers. Well, what? of course they do. Of course they're talking about stuff. But I'm here to tell you that what Foley spoke yesterday was the most common-sense, no-brainer application thing I've heard yet as a to how the NHL could actually have a 2021 season. Nothing else makes sense. Foley further went on to say that if the Golden Knights have partial crowds or smaller crowds that are held down by coronavirus, he doesn't know how they're not going to lose a ton of money. To my knowledge, he's the first owner that's come out and said that. It's been implied by others. It was implied by David Morehouse in a recent conversation that he and I had 
Uh, he, of course, being the Penguin CEO. But no one's come out and said it this directly. And yet it's so obvious. All of this is so obvious. Why would the NHL start up on January 1 when, by all accounts, including Dr. Anthony Fauci, we're trending more toward having a vaccine a little bit later in the winter? When, by all accounts, according to all epidemiologists and medical people, we're going to have one of the toughest times with coronavirus this coming winter, meaning early in the winter, which is known commonly as flu season. When flu intersects with coronavirus, you're going to have the most dangerous of all situations, which is that our medical facilities get overloaded. Not to mention confused and people wondering what it is that they have or don't have and everything else. So January 1 never sounded realistic. February 1, eh, it kind of does. An 82-game season that the NHL has repeatedly stated they're committed to having never sounded realistic, but 48 to 56 and getting it done before NBC has to broadcast the Olympics? Yeah, the, I, I could see that. Having fewer games so that teams don't lose as much money, that's going to involve the players. To an extent, the players just signed a new five-year labor agreement, and they're going to have to be in on any kind of shortening of the season. Ultimately, that's Gary Bettman's call, but that doesn't mean the players have to just blindly go along with it because their pay obviously would be cut, as we just saw in Major League Baseball, by having a shorter regular season. All of this stuff makes sense, but my goodness, the most no-brainer-ish aspect of this is the first thing that Foley blurted out. The Canadian division has to happen. It has to happen. The border is closed. The league won't even acknowledge this much. But when you're looking at a situation where the border was closed from the Canadian side, meaning they wanted to keep Americans out because we were having the biggest problem, and we were, of any country in the world in controlling the pandemic. But now it's becoming something of a two-way street. According to the Globe and Mail, Canada's national paper based in Toronto, you're now seeing outbreaks of significance throughout the province of Quebec, including Montreal. We're seeing shutdowns in Winnipeg. We're seeing Alberta, not necessarily specific to Calgary and Edmonton, but that's where most people in Alberta live. We're seeing Alberta starting to struggle. So Canada is not exactly the haven from this thing, the way it was maybe in the summertime, and certainly during bubble time. So there's a very good possibility that border is going to be closed uh, in both directions or even in the U.S. closing it off to, to Canada direction. So the NHL has seven franchises. They can all play in one division. 
That leaves 24 teams to split in the other three divisions. Simple math tells you you can go eight per division and just do it that way. But it's funny how when Foley made these remarks, everybody was like, wow, this is such big news, especially in Canada. They went wild over it. Oh, Canadian division, wow. This And it made, I mean, it's hockey. I get it. It's everything that's hockey is huge up there. But this should have been so obvious. And I know the, the question you have right now as you're hearing all this is, oh, who would be in the Penguins division? I have no idea. Because what ends up happening is it's not going to be as simple as saying, well, just keep the Metro together and the, and the Atlantic. Is It doesn't work because all of these divisions have some Canadian teams in, not the Metro. But everyone else has at least one Canadian team in it. So it's, I don't know, do you keep the Metro intact and just kind of mess with the others? I don't know. I haven't sat down and, and done a... A faux realignment, if you will. But I, I could see a situation where, let's say, uh, Boston and Buffalo would align with teams in the Metro and you move out others that are a little further south or west in terms of figuring out your eight. That way you can limit travel between, you know, the three New York area teams and Boston. Kind of a no-brainer, right? Simple stuff, keeping Buffalo in there and whatever else. You get the idea. It's not, I don't think it's going to be drastic, but I do think we're starting to see what this season will look like once it takes shape. And for that, we all have to thank Bill Foley. When we come back, a little bit of baseball. back kumar rocker is a name that if it's not already rolling off the tongue for you it probably should before long he is the consensus best prospect available in the 2021 major league baseball draft and thus in all likelihood headed to pittsburgh since the pirates will have the number one overall pick This portion of Daily Shot is brought to you by our friends at the Greater Pittsburgh Community Food Bank. In normal times, one in seven people in our region don't know where their next meal is coming from. That can be scary. Now put that within the context of a pandemic, and it's that much scarier. Visit the website for their current drive. It's called growsharethrive.org to see how you can help. growsharethrive.org. Any donation of $10 gets matched by an additional $5. And within that, $1 is all it takes to provide enough food for up to five meals. Make a difference in our community. Kumar Rocker is 6 feet 4, 230 pounds, 20 years old, right-hander, uh, Hits upper 90s on his fastball, has four legit pitches to his arsenal. He's got horse written all over him. He's got starting pitching horse written all over him. And that term doesn't even get used very much anymore because 
now in baseball, you know, if you go five and a third, your manager's patting you on the back. This kid has the stuff uh, and has the build. Has the build. Some people have compared him to CC Sabathia, and you're going to picture like late term CC, you know, uh, when he was significantly overweight beginning really when he pitched with the Brewers, but then when he went back to the Yankees. Uh, this isn't that. He's he's a thick, stocky build. He's not one of those kids who, when he gets drafted, he'll show up at the press conference and you look at him right away and go, oh, dude, like, go eat a cheeseburger. Like, go eat tons of cheeseburgers and then come back to us. He's not going to be that. He's going to show up at his initial press conference looking like he's ready to take the baseball. And that's exciting. I, I'm not going to lie. It, he met yesterday with reporters. Uh, I was going to say with Pittsburgh reporters, but it, re- it really wasn't the case. It was a nationwide Zoom call that was arranged by Vanderbilt with he and Tim Corbin, the, the longtime head coach down there, who was also the coach whenever Pedro Alvarez was there, which is back when I got to know him a little bit. And everything was taken in stride. There were a couple of questions asked about the Pirates, about the hashtag tank for Kumar uh, that was running on Twitter that was suggesting that the Pirates should lose games just so that they can get this kid. And he acknowledged seeing them and just said, look, I'm, I'm going to put all that stuff in the back seat right now and really didn't address it further. Which is a smart approach, and I'm sure he was to some extent advised to do that all baseball picks are in advance they get really really careful about saying too much or presuming that any team uh, would take them in any setting but nonetheless he was he was impressive uh, in that way and with other things that he said Uh, between that other articles that I've read about him other videos that I've seen that the school has put together on him he comes across as super sharp in addition to everything else that he could bring to a team. But i got to tell you what excites me the most by far is that he's a starting pitcher. Uh, Neil Huntington, back in his early days, before a lot of things started to go wrong there, he used to say all kinds of smart, sane things that would resonate with me. And one of them was that starting pitching of all commodities in the majors is the hardest for a low-revenue team to acquire. It just is, because if, if you don't get someone out of the draft, your avenues for getting someone who's meaning really, really good, like championship-level good, are to go bonkers in free agency, which the Pirates couldn't do, even if Bob Nutting was the most reckless individual on earth with his money. Or make a trade and hope that you're really robbing somebody in the process, like, oh, you know, the way the Tampa Bay Rays did with the Pirates for Tyler Glass now, things like that. Or finding somebody else's talented headache that you think you can fix, like, let's say, for example, the Tampa Bay Rays having Charlie Morton. They weren't the ones that fixed Charlie, obviously. The Houston Astros did that. But those are are basically... 
that's it. You know, you have to otherwise get them get them really, really young, and that's through the draft. I mean, when you think about who the Pirates' really strong pitchers have been over the past decade, including their playoff teams, the one elite talent that jumps out is the obvious one, is Garrett Cole, because he was a number one overall pick. And even though he didn't really blossom until he got to Houston and they also fixed him, he was still a pretty good pitcher in Pittsburgh. You know, this wasn't somebody who was just a flop. I mean, there's a reason that he was starting the playoff games that he did. And other than that, who are we talking about? A.J. Burnett's career was resuscitated here because the Yankees didn't recognize some things in him. Uh, and the Pirates, primarily Jim Benedict, but also Ray Searage, found some things to work with A.J. and got him back to a very highly competitive level. Francisco Liriano came later in his career at a, oh, well, initially it was at a very high price, but then later on stayed at lower prices. you got to go through the draft. There isn't another path. Let's say that you do commit to some star-level starting pitcher, or even just not not like the elite of the elite. I'm not talking about Justin Verlander or so. It's just someone that's maybe a little bit down the pecking order. They have to hit. If they don't hit, if you miss on that one, your, your payroll is doomed for years. There's no way to get around it. People say, oh, look at the Dodgers. They draft so well. That's the real reason they're winning, not because they have a quarter of a billion dollar payroll. It's BS. That's nothing further than the truth because the Dodgers can make mistakes, and they have made mistakes. And all they do is address them with money. They can buy that person out. They can afford to release them. They can afford to keep dead money around. It doesn't matter to them. It's not a factor. It's not a variable. If they have a young guy, some spectacular young guy, and they really have had a good farm system, that they want to make room for, but they've got this really non-productive veteran clogging up the 25-man roster. Guess what they do with that non-productive veteran? They just eat the deal, see you, thanks for coming, and it's no sweat. The Pirates can't do that. Until there's a salary cap, they can't even think about doing that. So some things are starting to line up here. No, you're not going to see Kumar Rocker in Pittsburgh in a year or two. You're just not. They'd be doing him a disservice. That doesn't mean he can't be fast-tracked. That doesn't mean that Ben Carrington is going to deliberately keep people in the minors the way Neil Huntington and Kyle Stark did in order to make sure that the Pirates can manipulate the best years of their career into being in Pittsburgh us completely taking them off and demoralizing the rest of the system and other stuff that I could get into in another day. But yeah, there's some hope. There's something worth getting excited about. This kid is worth it. Look him up online. He's really easy to find, meaning YouTube and whatever. You can see examples of his pitching. Uh, I guarantee you, he won't remind you of anyone on the current staff. How about that? <laughs> Thanks so much for listening today. 
your front door, your car, your gym locker, your gun. Safety is a habit. Learn more about how to keep guns safe and secure. Visit projectchildsafe.org.